Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. I drove to a gun shop. I never owned a weapon. And I drove to a gun shop, sort of the next town over, to buy a pistol, to walk out in my backyard and just end it. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. Christmas of 2017, this guy showed up at my house. My twins had just been born, and Clemson University found out about my twins and their helmets. And so some guy reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to come take a picture and tell a story about your twins wearing helmets with Clemson painted all over them. And this gentleman walked through my door. And I, before we introduce, I want you to share what's your greatest passion. I would say my greatest passion is uh, telling stories, finding outlets for my creativity. Uh, And that would be, that would mean either through more, used to be painting uh, or journalism like I do now. I guess I would say that. So are, Is that a good answer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you consider yourself a journalist, a photojournalist, a brand journalist? What, what, I, mean, I, would, how, how? I consider myself a photojournalist, definitely. Uh, photojournalism is a unique, specific profession where you write stories, but you also tell those stories. You use photographs, imagery to help tell the stories, and that's my specialty. Do you feel like that photojournalism is only a journalistic enterprise? Because ultimately you work for a brand. That's and, true. And so do you feel like photojournalists can interact inside of a brand to tell, you know, yeah, and true I, unbiased stories that, or is it really brand journalism? I mean, what's your thoughts there? Um, that's a great question. Cause uh, the same question when I was working in the army as a photojournalist and uh, I try to find ways to really tell the meaningful stories. So I always look for, uh, stories that have a deeper meaning that you can tell within the brand. Because if you can tell a story that touches somebody, that helps the brand, right? If you can find a story that moves someone, that helps any brand. And so those are the stories I try to find at Clemson and uh, what I used to try to find in the Army. Yeah, I have these debates with some of my, my colleagues that are still in the world of journalism, you know, where they work for the, what we call the free press or the press. Mm-hmm. And we have this debate, how can you be a journalist or a photojournalist working for a brand? Because really, uh, you're only, your bias is to sell that brand. Right. But, so. we, do, but don't we all have biases when we, we, as whether we're journalists or brand journalists or photojournalists, or are we able to tell all sides even inside of an organization? Uh, that's that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, it's different. In the Army, we were required, if there's something bad happened, we had to report it, truthfully. Um, but our job was to try to find those good stories of soldiers and, and get them out there and, and show Americans the great things that soldiers are doing. I do the same thing for Clemson. You know, I try to find the great stories that are happening at Clemson and uh, get the civilian media to pick, pick them up or write them and produce them myself and get them in front of people. Uh, the bad things that happen, you know, uh, you're right. We have to address them, 
Uh, but I think, you know, we're not investigative journalists when you work mm. for a brand. So there is a difference. There is a difference. Um, but I would still call myself a journalist because what's a journalist? You, you find stories and you tell them, right? You right. dig up stories. You try to go deep into these stories. You try to find stories of people and, and tell these people stories. It's the same thing any journalist does. So, yeah, I still consider myself a journalist, even though I work for, you know, if people could say I'm a PR person right. for Clemson. Right. Uh, which probably could be accurate depending on how you look at it. But I try to do more. I try to m find more meaning than that and the things I do. So that's so, how I answer that. Yeah. So uh, introduce yourself. Well, I'm, my name's Ken Scar, and I'm a media relations specialist, photojournalist at Clemson University, and I've been there for about four years, four and a half years now. How'd you find Clemson? Well, that's a great story. That's a great question. I never heard of Clemson in my life. I didn't know anything about South Carolina until I was in Afghanistan, deployed to Afghanistan, and my ex-wife, my children's mom, moved to Seneca uh, when I was in Afghanistan. And I'm like... Where the hell is Seneca? Where the hell is South Carolina? I had to look it up on a map. I had never watched college football, never was interested in my, in my life. In fact, the first time I came to Clemson, I was visiting you know, my kids because they lived here with my ex. And uh, I went to the Starbucks there on the corner, and I asked the girl behind the counter, like, what's with all these orange paws everywhere? Is there a college around here or something? And she looked at me like I was a complete... Like, I was just screwing with her, you know? But I was serious. Like, I, I had never heard of Clemson. It had never made a mark on me. So um, so I've had a lot to learn the last four years uh, coming here. I, uh, I had to sort of start from scratch. You know, everybody I work with, it's like their heritage, you know? And I came in not knowing anything. And uh, it's been a good four years to be there at Clemson. Tell me about being, apparently you came from the Army. How did talk about your was that a career before Clemson or how did you get into the army? What what led you in that direction? Well, I joined the army in 2009 when I was 40 years old. Uh, and before that, I had been a painter. I was a, a scenic artist in theater and television for over a decade in California. Uh, painted sets you know I painted the sets for Broadway plays and television shows and when our kids were born we moved back home to Colorado which is where my wife and I were both from to raise them in a kind of a we, we wanted to raise them in a small town environment like we grew up in so we said hey we'll move back to the same small town we grew up in and raise them there <laughs> and uh, and I started my own painting company there and I did faux finishings and murals and uh uh, decorative painting, and then just straight painting uh, to fill in the gaps. Um, and then the marriage fell apart, mm -hmm. and I kind of lost my mind. We were together for 14 years, and uh, the ending of the marriage was very abrupt and uh, unforeseen. I didn't see it coming, and so it it sent me into a spiral, uh, kind of sent me off the rails. And, uh, and so I looked into joining the military to sort of get myself back on a track again. And uh, I didn't know that, I didn't know if any of the services would, would take a guy my age, but it turned out the Army had raised its maximum age limit to 42 at the time because we were embroiled in two wars and they needed all the help they could get. So um, most 
people my age that tried to get in uh, weren't accepted because they had back issues or bad knees. Uh, but I passed all the tests, and they're like, come on in, be a soldier, Scar. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'll do it if I could be a journalist because uh, I had two college degrees. One was journalism and one was in theater, like the two worst degrees you could ever get if you actually want to make a living in the world. And I had used my theater degree all those years, so I thought, well, maybe I could use my journalism degree. And, uh, of course, the recruiters are like, oh, there's only like 300 of those in the whole army. You know, There's <laughs> no spaces available for that. And I said, well, thanks anyway, and I left. Yep. And uh, they called me a couple weeks later like, well, you, you still uh, interested? And <laughs> we got a spot open. So I said, okay. I, I said, sure. So I signed up, and uh, that's how I became a soldier. So I did that for five years, active duty, full-time, 24-7. And when my five-year active duty contract was up, uh, my ex had moved here to South Carolina. I couldn't convince her to move back to Colorado. And I was tired of doing the back-and-forth thing with the kids. We had dual custody, and so I had, I had them during the holidays, and I had them in the summers. But I wanted to be with them all the time. I want to be able to go to their school functions and um, take them to school in the morning, you right. know. So I said, well, I guess I'm moving to South Carolina. So I moved easily, kind of sight unseen. I kind of did some research, and I figured I'd either end up working in Greenville or Clemson. Uh, so I split the difference and moved easily. And, uh, and a friend of a friend knew someone at Clemson got me an interview and uh, I was the standing military journalist of the year at the time, so that didn't hurt. So when I went in for the interview, and I, and I got the job at Clemson, they hired, me, they hired me on in a temporary position, and, and I just kind of worked that into a permanent position over the years. So that's how I ended up at Clemson. So talk about your time in the Army. Um, and really, I guess I need to even back up. What made you choose the Army after your divorce? What, what was attractive to it? And, I mean, you could have done so many different things, but you yeah. chose the Army in the midst of probably, I guess, a chaos? Yeah, I was in the midst of chaos. I was kind of, you know, looking back now, I think I was sort of, uh, you know, out of my mind. Mental health is no joke. And... You know, the reason my wife left me was because of those issues. And, you know, she sort of had a nervous breakdown. And we know now that she ha she's bipolar and manic and she's on medication and doing great. But at the time when everything fell apart, neither one of us knew how to deal with what was going on. And so it just sort of, sort of spent me, sent me spinning. And, it, you know, I didn't know anything much about the military, but I knew that it was a disciplined, rigid, methodical life when you're in that and I and I just I think I just sort of felt like I needed that because uh, I you know I was I was in a bad place and I, I needed what I said was uh, I just need someone to tell me what to do for a while <laughs> but be careful what you wish for man because the <laughs> army tells you what to do all the every second of the day they tell you what you're going to be doing so <laughs> Can I go pee? No. Right. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, they, they keep track of you every minute of the day. So uh, I got exactly what I, I was thinking I would get, but and a lot more than that. But, uh, but that's sort of the reasons why 
And like I said, the Army was the only. The Marines, the Air Force, the Navy didn't take people that old. Mm. The Army was the only only branch that took people that old. And I slipped, I slipped through that window. Um, it's back down now, by the way. Like they, oh, it they, is. They put it back down. I think 35 is the oldest you can be. Really? So. Well, one of the things, you know, that made me really interested in reaching out was, you know, we're friends on Facebook. Yes. And I, you have been telling your story lately. And in your latest post, you talk about your struggle at, uh, with mental health. And you, and you even talked about an attempted – you thought about suicide. Yeah. Talk about that. In a time that you went for structure, you were still seeking something more. Um, share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, when, after my wife left me, you know, my whole world was wrapped up in her uh, as it should be when you're married to somebody. Right. And uh, I was madly in love. We were together for 14 years. And uh, so when she left, I just could not fathom moving on without her as my partner. I couldn't fathom moving on alone. And uh, so... You know, yeah, those, you know, I when I made that post, Bobby, I I thought about it afterwards, like, because I did talk about, I went, I drove to a gun shop. I never owned a weapon, and I drove to a gun shop, sort of the next town over, to buy a pistol, to walk out in my backyard and just end it. And uh, I made that post on Facebook, and, and I thought about, man, am I embellishing this, you know? Am I making it seem worse than it really was? But... I really did go to that gun shop, you know, to buy a gun. And in the end, I didn't buy a gun. You know, I was talking to the guy behind the counter, and it just, I could, started thinking about my two kids fighting me, you know, or having to live the rest of their lives with, you know, after I had shot myself. Um, and I, so I didn't buy the gun, and I, and I came home. And, uh, yeah, uh, I just, hmm. It was heavy times, you know, heavy times. And, and and it was that night, I think, I started looking in. I first looked into, you know, I, I, I thought, I just need to get away from here. I need to get away from my life, from everything. So I even looked, I Googled the Foreign Legion, like looking mm. at joining the Foreign Legion. There's still a Foreign Legion you can join. Wow. And uh, But that didn't seem appealing to me after some research. And so then I started looking into the Army and uh, – and the other thing I thought, you know, is like you, you shoot yourself and die. It's not a very noble way to die. And uh, you're, everyone in your life has to live with that. And so I thought, well, maybe I could go out like a hero in a noble way and uh, like a soldier, you know. And that's the thought that popped into my mind that got me online searching the Army recruitment sites and so it's sort of ironic because the Army's got a big push to stop soldiers from committing suicide. There's a huge problem now. 22 soldiers a day commit suicide. And so they have all these programs when you're a soldier. You know, you got to go to briefings. It seems like every other week where they tell you, don't commit suicide. We have all these options. We have help for you. There's, there's help here. There's help there for you. They they. They're imploring soldiers not to commit suicide, but they never, there's nothing for somebody that goes in actually thinking of using the army as a way to go out. It's sort of like suicide by cop, right? Mm. That's sort of how I went into it. 
Um, but it didn't take me long to lose that, that desire for a hero's death, you know. By the time I got to Afghanistan, I, I had lost that desire. And uh, I wanted to make it through that deployment, you know. But so those are the things that drove me, you know, to joining the Army. Um, plus, and I'd always wanted to serve, and I had that window. And that so you, was part of it, too. But, but did you find a different Army than you expected? Because, you know, when we first started talking in this interview, you were – the army was a place for order. Right. And then you shared the army was a place to find my way to go out as a hero. And then it sounds like the army was a place that brought you new life. It, it sort of dragged a new life out of me. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't just hand it to me. <laughs> it freaking just it pulled it out of me little by little. But, you know, the Army is not completely squared away. It's a huge bureaucracy. So everything that comes with a bureaucracy comes with being a soldier. I mean, the red tape and the bullshit you have to deal with as a soldier, just dealing with your chain of command, uh, frustrating, so frustrating. You know, it's it's like any job. There's good things and there's bad things. Um, but with the Army comes a, a pride that you don't get in a lot of jobs. Um, and, and a sense of being a part of something bigger than yourself that that outweighs a lot of the other negative stuff, right? But no, the Army wasn't the super squared away, <laughs> meticulous, tightened up, squeaky clean place that a lot of, that the movies and stuff try to make it out to be. You know, it's got a lot of issues. Uh, but any organization that big, you're going to have issues. Anytime you're dealing with thousands of, 20-some-year-old millennials, you're going to have issues. Um, I know, you know, I say in my story that the, every rule we have to follow, every soldier has to follow the rules in the Army that are made for the lowest common denominator, which means the least intelligent and the most jacked-up soldiers that screw up all the time. The Army makes rules to keep them from doing stupid shit, and we all have to follow those rules. Even and, and things get real stupid real fast, right? <laughs> For those of us that aren't morons, you know. So, uh, so I tell people the army is exactly what I thought it would be, but it's but not. You know, there's a lot to it that I didn't expect to. Um, but it was, I'd say, pretty much what I thought it would be. You know, what? How did you? Or let me ask you this. When did you realize in your time in the Army that your focus shifted from the hero soldier to, man, my life is worth living? I mean, yeah. did, did you notice a transition or did it, or was there a time when it's like, this is hard, but I'm going to get through it because it's worth doing it? Or did it... Or had it? Did it never really present itself, and you just found yourself at the end of it? Yeah, good question. I think. I think first of all, I wasn't totally committed to dying, mm. right? You don't have to be totally committed to 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 consider right. these things, right? Um, so I think once I got to Fort Hood, which was my first duty station, and I got ingrained in my unit, it was it was. 
you know, I'm with all new people and an entirely new culture that was completely foreign to me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm working with all these kids that were decades younger than me. Um, it was almost uh, going through a second youth, mm-hmm. you know. I got to experience all these incredibly new, kind of exciting things. Um, so that sort of put the thought, my, you know, my really dark thoughts a little further back in my mind. And then the moment I really realized that I just, I, I wanted to live was when I was about to go out on my first mission in Afghanistan. And I wrote about that in the, in my Facebook posts. You know, I, my first mission was at FOB Tillman, Forward Operating Base Tillman, named after Pat Tillman, who was the NFL hero, true American hero, man. He gave up a career in the NFL to join the army. And, uh, and then died tragically in this this area of operation where I was flown to. And I, you know, like, I didn't know hardly anything about the military, but I knew who Pat Tillman was when I deployed to Afghanistan. And to go to that base named after him was sobering because we that was where he died. And the first mission we were doing, you know, as a photojournalist, we're sort of attached to these platoons or companies as they go on their missions and we go out with them to document what they do and try to bring them deserved recognition. So I was going out with this this platoon that had been there for almost a year. They're, they're at their end of the deployment. So they were used to this stuff, right? This was just another day at work for them. But for me, I'm like, holy cow, we're about to walk out. You know, we're inside this base that's behind these barriers. They're called HESCO barriers, these big sand filled. They stack them on top of each other and make walls around the base so you're relatively safe uh, but we were about to walk outside that out into Afghanistan it was the it was the butt crack dawn of morning and the platoon leader gathers us up and said all right guys you know keep your heads on a swivel you know we take fire every time we go out here so stay frosty you know and I'm standing there 42 year old painter with a m4 Going, what the fuck am I doing here? I do not belong here. How did I get here? This is insane. This is insane. I don't want to do this, you know? So. And you're a long way oh, from home. <laughs> the longest way you could possibly be from home. I mean, there's no going back. I'm like, I am in the shit. I'm really in the shit now. It was, it was way too easy to get there. Way too easy. But I had to go. I had to go. I walked out that gate with those soldiers. And it was a 36-hour mission, like two and a half days, man, walking through the mountains on the border of Pakistan, uh, going to these little villages. I mean, things you'd see in a movie, you know, literally cut into the side of mountains with these villagers that really just had no interest in seeing us, you know. But we were going to check out a point of origin which is a place where they'd been firing rpgs at us and uh so we were going to inspect this point of origin and sure enough man about seven hours in uh, we got ambushed and uh and you know i got back to the base a couple days later i was a different man you know when i walked back through that gate i knew what it was to be a soldier and to be a part of a, a team of soldiers uh so that was, but that was the moment I think I realized, like, yeah, 
I want to live. I don't want to walk out this gate and get shot. I really don't, you know? Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.